It is so great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Nick Newman, and if it's your first time here at Propel, we want to say welcome to you. As Kathy mentioned earlier, you can do one of two things. You can take that Connect card you received on your way in, and you can drop it in the buckets as you leave, or you can stop by the Welcome Center. We'd love to exchange that as our gift to you. Regardless, um, church, can you help me welcome every person here for the first time? Awesome. And for those of you tuning in online with us, we're excited that you're here as well, believing God's going to do some incredible things, because we are in week number three of a message series called Good Question. And during this series, one of the things that we've been talking about is really the things that you want to learn. So every Easter, we do a survey, gives you the ability to let us know what you want to learn about. So we talked about why we need to get baptized a few weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about how do I understand and read my Bible. And so if you weren't here for that, I would just encourage you to go look at our YouTube channel and watch that. But this week, we're going to talk about how to overcome anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression are one of those things that are incredibly uh, difficult things to overcome, and a lot of people are facing it these days. In fact, we live in the most anxious and depressed generation we've ever been in in the entire history of our world. Anxiety and depression are really real things in a lot of people's life. In fact, when I'm teaching you this stuff today, it's not because I've never experienced it, but I've gone through some anxiety and depression in my own life. A couple years ago, we had started the church. We were about two years old, and I would stand on stage, and I would teach on Sundays, and I felt incredible. I was really just kind of faking through it, and then I'd leave on Sunday mornings and felt like I was trapped. I felt like uh, everything in my life was just really chaotic. And it, it felt like, as one pastor has described in the past, that I was in a room that had a door, but there was no doorknob and there was no way to get out. I felt stuck. I felt anxious and I would sleep about two hours a night and would wake up the next morning and still feel more and more exhausted and ended up finding myself stuck in some depression. And uh, it got to the point where my wife came to me and she said, look, I don't know what's going on with you, but you need to go spend some time with Jesus because we can't keep doing this. And so I left town for about a week and went to the mountains and spent some time with Jesus and came back. And God had done some great healing things in my heart. And so I want to share some of that with you today. But the first thing that I want to do before we dive too deep into Scripture is give you this first point, which is this. It's okay to talk with Jesus and a counselor. So a lot of times in the local church, and maybe you came out of a church that was like this, what they told you was if you just have enough faith, then everything gets fixed. And I don't think that's really the case. I think if you and I were to look, uh, God has given great wisdom to medical professionals who understand anxiety, they understand depression. And so if you're feeling those thoughts, like I want you to get some great stuff from today, but I think the most beneficial thing you could do is actually talk to a doctor as well to get some professional help. Um, because I got some counseling after I had come through that season more as a preventative measure, and I'm telling you, and my wife will tell you, it's the most beneficial thing I've ever done. Right? There's no shame in getting counseling because you need somebody you can talk to. And, and I think the mark of a healthy person is that they're willing to get help when they need it. So uh, it's okay to talk to Jesus and a counselor. We're going to study the life of a guy named Elijah today. And what I love about Scripture is that Scripture gives you and I everything we need to overcome the battles that we face in our everyday life. So if you ever find yourself in a battle, know that God's Word has addressed it to some level at some point. 
And so we're going to look in Scripture, and as we look in Scripture, in 1 Kings chapter 19, we find a prophet named Elijah. But Elijah's story doesn't start in 1 Kings chapter 19. He's been going through a battle with this guy named King Ahab. King Ahab uh, was a fierce and ferocious ruler. Elijah comes to him, and he says, look, you're not God-honoring. So what God's going to do is he's going to send a drought, and he's basically going to kill off everything. You're no longer going to be in charge by the end of it. Ahab gets mad at him and threatens to kill him. So what happens is Ahab comes to kill Elijah. Elijah runs into the wilderness, and he's hiding for his life. As he's hiding, God is providing for him every step of the way. When Elijah was hungry, God provided raisins and berries and then meat. And when he was thirsty, he was given water. And God was providing for him every step of the way. To the point, there was one scenario where Elijah is standing against 850 men who are proclaiming that there is a different God other than the God he serves. And as confident as he can, he stands before 850 people and proclaims that the God of heaven is the only God that exists. You know how confident you have to be to stand in front of 850 people? Like he was ready. He was like, I'll introduce you to grace and truth. We're going to throw down if you want. <laughs> Elijah's ready. They try and call their gods to do some things and none of it works. But Elijah prays, God, will you call down fire from heaven? And he turns those guys into some crispy critters. And it was incredible. He's watched the hand of God move on his life over and over and over again. But Ahab had a wife named Jezebel. And if you thought Ahab was bad, Jezebel was worse. Jezebel goes to Ahab and he says, she says, well, if you're not going to kill him, I'm going to kill him. So she goes after Elijah. He's already come through all of the battles where Ahab was trying to kill him. Now Jezebel is trying to kill him. And this is what we find in 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 3. It says that Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. See, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. Now, when you and I read Scripture like that from time to time, we go, whoa, I never knew that was in the Bible. Because if I were to poll the room and ask you, with the rates that suicide, suicidal thoughts are trending these days, I would venture to guess that nine out of ten of you in here at some point have thought, I've had enough, take my life. We've had those thoughts, we've had those feelings. It's interesting that the same confident man who could stand in front of 850 people and with faith and boldness is the same man who cowered at the face of a salty woman. I'm just saying. Elijah is running for his life. And I'm going to pull out five things that I, I see in three verses. So uh, first one is this. Um, if you're if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling depressed, avoid making big life decisions based on fear. So you and I, when we get anxious, when we get caught up in our emotions, at times we will make decisions motivated by our feelings. And when we make decisions motivated on our feelings, we're never going to get the results that we want in life. Because our feelings, while they are real to us, are not actually based on reality. Your feelings are based on circumstances and situations. Because if my situation changes, my feelings change. 
That's an incredibly unstable thing <laughs> to base the direction of your life on. But Elijah's problem is a little bit different because he doesn't just make a decision in a heightened emotional state. He makes a decision that's motivated by fear. We'll pull back up verse 3 really quick. It says, Elijah was afraid, so he ran. Elijah's got fear. He's terrified that someone's going to come and kill him. So what he does is he runs for his life. The first mistake he makes is he made decisions in his life based on fear. And what we read in Scripture is that fear does not come from God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Fear is actually a spirit. And if it doesn't come from God, it comes from the enemy. So what you need to understand today is that if you make decisions by following the wrong spirit, you're never going to get the right result. So in our lives, we have the choice to follow the spirit of God or to follow the spirits that come along with the enemy. The reason why there's more than one is because they end up leading you to confusion and death. There's only one spirit with God. It's the Holy Spirit. It says, for he didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And what I've just learned in, in my life is that when I feel anxious, when I feel depressed, I've got to make sure that the motivation of my heart is not to make decisions that are based on fear. In fact, when I'm going through tough stuff, you can ask my wife, I don't even make decisions on where to eat dinner. I'm like, I'm like, look, girl, I'm just in the mess right now. you got to take care of it. What, what are we doing for dinner? I, I am decision fatigued. That's the word. And, uh, and I just I can't do it. I, mean, I, just, I just can't. You've got to be really careful about making decisions based on fear because you're never going to get the right results. I shared this with 9 a.m. I'll, I'll share it with you, too. So that Second Timothy verse, Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For the Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Um, you see the Trinity right there in that verse. Power comes from the Holy Spirit. Love comes from the Father, because for God so loved the world that he gave his son, so you, you can't have a son if you're not a father, and a sound mind comes from the only perfect person who ever lived, which is Jesus. So what God's showing you and I through that passage is that he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but what he did give us is everything we need to overcome fear through God. Second thing, uh, understand that anxiety is fueled by running yourself into the ground. Anxiety is fueled by running yourself into the ground. I've learned in my own life, for, for a long time, I used to brag about how busy I was. Right, like we, we get mad because we're so busy and we don't have time for this, 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 and this, but really we wear it as a badge of honor. And what I learned is as I was getting more anxious and more stressed out and my, my sleep decreased and my time with Jesus decreased and my life got a little more chaotic is that, that what I was doing is I was running myself into the ground over and over and over again. So the verse says that Elijah left his servants and he went himself a, a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, personally, um, if you send me into the wilderness for a day, I'm not making it. I, like some of you guys are like Bear Grylls cousin and you're going to do just fine. I'm not that guy, right? You put me up in an Airbnb and I'll be good. I'll be good. 
It says he went into the wilderness on a day's journey. And while he's in the wilderness, he begins to think about ending his life. So you and I have to be careful of how far we're willing to run before we stop and rest. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you're going to see God creates everything. And when he does it, he's saying, it's good, it's good, it's good. And Adam and Eve were resting or dwelling in the presence of God. So Genesis chapter 1, the presence of God exists in two components, rule and rest. Rule and rest. So he says, I want you to rule over the fish of the sea yeah, and birds of the sky. For some reason, I keep wanting to put fish in the sky. If, if fish are in the sky, there's a problem. So, so he gives them the ability to rule over that. But then on day six, he rests. And oftentimes what you and I will try and do is we'll try and get the presence of God without having both rule and rest. you got God's in control of your life, but you don't rest, therefore you don't have his presence. Because rest was not something that's a byproduct of the fall. It's not a byproduct of sin. Rest is a part of God's original design for perfection. So if you're not resting, you need to know that your body will actually cause you to rest. I call it a forced Sabbath. So if you've ever wondered why like, you're going strong and everything's going great, and then all of a sudden your body shuts down, like you just randomly get sick and it takes you out for a whole week, it's because your body was meant to rest and you were forfeiting the ability for it to do it. So it chose to stop you. And then you go down for about a week and you wake up and then you're good and you start running back again, but you keep repeating the cycle because you didn't learn from it. Your body and you were made to rest. Anxiety is fueled by running yourself into the ground. The best news of all, though, that I've learned is that when I get to the end of myself, I find the presence of God. This is what 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 11 says. But he said to me, this is Paul talking, and Paul's been talking about this affliction that he has. He's got this thorn in his flesh. There's this thing that he's been asking God to remove and take away. And oftentimes that's our prayer when we have anxiety and depression. God, just take it. God, just take it. And this is what he says. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore... I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Notice that the resting power of God comes from the recognition that we're weak. It says, that's why for Christ's sake I delight in my weakness, in insults and in hardships and persecution and difficulties. Don't those sound like things that cause you and I anxiety? But when I am weak, then I am strong. Anybody ever watch wrestling growing up, like WWE, right? All right, we can talk about your childhood later if you didn't. But like, so growing up, I watched some wrestling, and normally it was one person versus one person. So two people would be in the ring, and they'd be duking it out. However, there were these things called tag team matches, and that's where the throwdown went down. So what would happen is there were two people on each side, but only one person in the ring at a time. That's how it's supposed to go. Some people cheat, but for the purpose of this analogy, no one's cheating currently. <laughs> so two people were in the ring, and they're standing there. And I think what happens a lot of times is what you and I try and do in our own strength is we try and fight the enemy. 
And so we're fighting him, and we're in the ring, and we're duking it out, and we feel like if we just fight hard enough, or if we just resist enough, or if we just have the right maneuver, if we just kind of tweak the formula to where I have enough time with Jesus and enough time with my family, then I can, I can fight the enemy. And we become really weak and really tired, but the whole time God's been standing in the corner waiting for you and I to just tag him in. Because our God doesn't get weak. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't grow weary but you and I sure do. And if you and I would just tag God in and let him step in to realize that, no, we can't continue to run and do everything. Every time you say yes to one thing, it's a no to something else. And for some of you, your families have suffered because you thought just saying yes was, was just saying yes. No, it's every time you say yes to one thing, you say no to another. Third thing, third issue thing that Elijah did wrong is this, um, it says this, that he, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there. So I'm going to give you a practical tip. When you feel anxious, when you feel depressed, stay connected. Stay connected. As soon as he started feeling anxious and depressed, what he did is he left his servants. He left the people who he was doing life with. He decided that it would be better for him to leave them there. And as he was experiencing all this fear and he's on the run, he's leaving the very people who could help him out of the situation he was in. One of the biggest tactics of the enemy is to convince you and I that isolation is beneficial. So people will argue from time to time, well, we, you know, when we look through Scripture, Pastor, we see Jesus, and Jesus went away, and he spent a long time with God. That's incredible. That's called solitude. It's not isolation. The difference between solitude and isolation is that solitude pushes you into the presence of God. Isolation distances you from people. And I think what the enemy convinces some people of is that they're actually trying to get closer to God, but their motivation is to distance themselves from people. And if your motivation is to get away from people, you're not going to find the presence of God. Because God's really clear that his plan for healing in our lives is to be in biblical community. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. When you're feeling anxious, when you're feeling depressed, you need people in your life. I wrote this in my notes this way. When I want community the least, I need it the most. Because I don't know if you're like me, right? 50% chance you are. When you're going through tough stuff, you don't want to talk to nobody. That's how I, I feel like, truthfully, as a man, I feel like I can take care of this, right? If I, if I just make a couple of tweaks, if I just make a couple of phone calls and I give this away and that away, I'll be fine. Or, or sometimes as Christians, we use like cool, catchy lingo to go, well, it's just a season, right? <laughs> now you're depressed and you need help. When I want community the least, I need it the most. If you, uh, I'm not trying to like plug my, my social media here at all, but if you follow me on social media, what, one of the things that you'll see is I hang out with a lot of pastors, a lot of them. And it's not because I just love pastors. It's because I desperately need community in my life. And I want that for you. And that's why we push groups as hard as we do, to, to really not make them an optional component for our church life. We're not a church that has groups. We're a church of groups. And we believe that 
being a part of a small group community really does make a difference because the worst time to figure out you need people is when you need people. Getting in community is 100% a preventative measure for the battle that will inevitably come in your life. And when you get into those battles, when you get into those hardships, you need people to do life with. Don't run away from the very people that can help you out of your situation. You weren't made to do life alone. You can go back to Genesis again. and I think Genesis is one of the most underrated books of the Bible. I don't know if there's a ranking system for books of the Bible, but if there were, Genesis would be underranked in my personal opinion. Because you can look in Genesis where God says it's not good for man to be alone. Again, your design for community doesn't happen because of sin. It's a part of God's perfect plan of creation. So uh, the next thing is this. Number four, choose to take control of your thought life. Choose to take control of your thought life. So Elijah's on the run. Elijah has made decisions based on fear. He is running as fast as he can to the end of his rope. He chooses to leave his people behind. And then he gets into the wilderness. He's going through some struggles. And it's in these moments that he begins to have thoughts of suicide. I mean, if if you want to boil it down... That's the end result. He says, I'm done. I've had enough. He prays that he might die. And he said, Lord, take my life. I'm I'm finished. And the reason why he got to that place is because he let the little thoughts keep growing. Oftentimes, this is why Paul says that we have to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Because the actions you have don't start out as actions. They start out as thoughts. So the biggest reason why I think people commit suicide is because they end up isolated and then they don't take control of their thought life. Your thoughts matter. Because your thoughts dictate your actions and your actions communicate what you actually believe. So when you and I choose to take control of our thoughts... We're shifting the trajectory of where we're going in life. I think we also have to understand from Elijah's life is there is a very real and spiritual battle that's taking place. There's a spiritual battle that's going on. Underneath the surface, there are things at work. Ephesians chapter 6 says, For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities of an unseen world. So everything that takes place in the physical realm, in what you and I are here existing in today, is rooted in the spiritual realm. There are things at work against you and I that are causing physical responses in our everyday life. And I'll show you, because this is what this is Jesus talking in John 10.10, when he wants you and I to understand the enemy versus him. It says the thief, this is Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now let me ask you this. If you are anxious and depressed, do you have life or is something stealing life from you? You're being robbed of life. You're being robbed of moments. You're being robbed of opportunities because you are physically paralyzed by what's taking place around you. And if it doesn't give you life, it's not from God. 
Because the enemy comes to steal your joy. He comes to steal your hope. He comes to rob you of a healthy marriage. He comes to kill the plans and purposes of God in your life. He comes to kill off your potential. He comes to destroy the plans that God has for you. He comes to destroy your marriage. That's the tactic of the enemy. Jesus says, I came so that you might have life. And so here's what I would challenge you with in the upcoming week. In those moments where you feel anxious, where you feel depressed, what you have to first assess is the battle that you're facing. Because if you keep trying to treat physical symptoms and not deal with the spiritual issue, you're going to just keep temporarily satisfying the, the physical stuff. It's like dealing with a tree that, that's, that's gone bad, that's got some poisonous stuff in it. It's, the tree's dying. If you just keep cutting the branches away, you're still going to have a poison tree. But if you dig out the roots of it, you're, you'll actually be able to get some healing from it. You and I can't just continue to treat symptoms. Truthfully, anxiety is a symptom of a bigger issue. You and I just can't keep treating the symptoms. We have to deal with the source, which is that we have a real battle, and the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But God came so that we might have life and life abundantly. So every time the enemy comes in and I have those thoughts that don't bring life, I let the enemy know whose kid I am. I remind him that I am a son of the king, that he was already defeated in the past, that I read the end of Scripture, and we win, we are victorious. I remind him that no weapon formed against me prospers. Doesn't say that weapons won't be formed. But I think you choose whether or not they prosper. Because the enemy only takes ground where you give it to him. As a son and daughter of the king, you have the ability to take control of your thoughts. The fifth thing that I think Elijah could have done a little bit different. Um, When he was going through the battle with Ahab... He ended up in the wilderness. He ends up in the wilderness, and every time he needs something in the wilderness, God provides for him over and over and over again. God has been providing. When he needs food, he gets food. When he needs water, he gets water. He was fully taken care of. Now he finds himself back in the wilderness, and he feels like his life is over, that he should, he'd be better off dead and that he's no better than his ancestors. When you find yourself anxious and depressed, what you need to remember is God's past faithfulness in your life. You need to remember God's past faithfulness. I remember the church was going through some fun seasons in the beginning. We we had started, and, and, and the way church planting works is you, you start with a group of people, and then about a year, two years into it, a lot of those people transition out, and just new faces come. And it's great. I didn't realize the, the emotional toll it takes when you do life with people for a season, and then they just disappear. And for some of them, they just disappear with like no conversation. or Because my heart is, yo, if Propel Church is not the place for you, I want you just to be plugged into a church. And when you leave and nobody hears from you and nobody knows, we feel like you're not plugged into a church. And then, then I feel like I didn't do my job well as a pastor. Because the goal is not that you just get plugged in here. It, the goal is that you get rooted in the house of the Lord somewhere. 
And so I didn't know how big of an emotional toll it was going to take. And so I started wrestling through that. And, and I, I, now I have a note on my phone. Every, every time somebody leaves the church, I pull that note up and I read through eight things. I hear eight things you should remember. And through, through all of that, God has been teaching me things over and over again. But we had a season where some people were leaving about six, eight months ago. And, and, and I remember sitting down with Tori and I'm like, the church is over. It's over. And we're dying. I don't, I don't know what's happening. Nobody's going to come next weekend. And, and like, I just remember thinking, hey, dude, you've done this before. Like, hey, hey, this is, you've been through this. Like, the way God works is God will actually bring you through something on a smaller scale to prepare you at a larger scale so that he might prepare you for an even larger scale. And how you handle the transition determines the next season that God takes you in. But what you and I have to remember when we're going through difficult things or we're going through those hardships is God has and will continue to be faithful. I wrote it in my notes this way. God hasn't brought you this far to leave you now. And those thoughts that Elijah was having of, should I end my life? Should I end it all right now? None of those would have continued to, to take root had he remembered that the God who brought him out of the wilderness a few years back is the same God who can bring him out of the wilderness now. You have to know and I have to know that God is still and will continue to be faithful for he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So as Elijah was wrapping up his little spiel to God, which is cool because one of the things that I think sometimes when you and I are feeling anxious or depressed, we feel like we can't talk to God about it. Elijah's like, I'm going to pray that he kills me. You can talk to God about your issues. You can come to God honestly. You can come to him openly. He's a big enough God that he can not only pay for your sins, but he can understand when you're not feeling it. It says this in verse 11. The Lord is going to respond to Elijah. Elijah says this, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. So he says, here's what I want you to do. Elijah, you're frustrated. You're angry. Do this. Go out and stand on the mountain. So Elijah stands on the mountain. The Lord's going to pass by. The presence of God is about to fall. And this is what it says. Then a great powerful wind tore through the mountain. It tore the mountains apart and it shattered rocks before the Lord. And I'm thinking if I'm Elijah, I'm going, yo, this is awesome. I was waiting for God. And, and, and as I'm standing on this mountain and I'm looking, the wind of God's blowing through and, and he's pulling mountains apart, which means God is making new mountains. Oh, come on. If, we, if God, I'm thinking, man, that's God. I'm sitting here frustrated. I'm sitting here angry, but God is making new things in my life. But it says that the Lord wasn't in the wind. Oh, okay, God. Well, really cool thing you did there. It says, after the wind, there was an earthquake. Oh, perfect. God, I know that sometimes things get tough, but you have to come in and you shake things up. And when you shake things up, I mean, this is a good message. It's not the message, but it's a good message. Right? God, you shake things up. And it's incredible because when God shakes something up, man, there's a solid foundation that's under it. But it says, but the Lord wasn't even in the earthquake. It says, after the earthquake came a fire. And oh man, I'm so thankful because scripture is really clear that it's through the fire that we are refined and we are purified. So I know that if I'm currently in the fire that God is making something better on the other end. But then it says, 
God wasn't in the fire. And so if I was Elijah, I'd be sitting here going, what else are we going to do? The wind came through. That was awesome. Earthquake, that's, that was really cool. Fire, cool as well. It says, after the fire came, a gentle whisper. And the Lord was in the whisper. It would have been really easy for Elijah to get caught up in all of the external stuff. In the wind and in the earthquake and in the fire. Because after all that stuff, what God showed him is that he was close enough to him the whole time to whisper to him. To hear the whisper of God, I must be close. If I'm really far away, I can't hear God speak. But when I'm close, I can hear the whisper. And I think the reason why the Lord didn't come in the wind and he didn't come in the earthquake and he didn't come in the fire is because what he was trying to show Elijah is the whole time you made that decision and you were running in fear, I was close enough to whisper. The time where you left your friends and you abandoned them to go into the wilderness by yourself, I was close enough to whisper. The times where you ran to the end of your rope, I was close enough to whisper. When you sat down and prayed that I might kill, that you, that, that you, would, you wanted to die. When you prayed that, I was close enough to whisper. When you had those suicidal thoughts, I was close enough to whisper. And I think what God would tell you today is no matter what you're facing or going through, He's close enough to whisper. He's close enough to speak to your situation. He's close enough to speak to your circumstances, the question is, are you listening? Because Scripture is really clear that if you and I don't have a relationship with Jesus, then we don't hear from God. Because the only way to get access to God is through Jesus. You say, why? Sin is a short answer. That sin created a debt that was on our life, and that debt had to be paid for. So Jesus came and he lived a sinless life. He died in our place so that in him we could have connection with God. And once you place your hope in Jesus, that whisper comes whenever you need it. It's the very thing that Jesus looks at the disciples and they're freaking out right before he's going to ascend to be at the right hand of the Father. He's going to go back to heaven. He's already pulled off Easter. And Jesus is there and he says, Behold, I am with you through the end of the age. I want you to know I'm close enough to whisper. So I've got two prayers for you this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. For some of you, you're in here and you've felt anxious, you've felt depressed, and you just, the reason why you keep having those thoughts is because you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you don't have a source that's bigger than your anxiety and depression. Because the truth is, anxiety and depression are spiritual things that take place in our life, and you're not strong enough to overcome them. You need Jesus in you to overcome them. That's why Scripture says that He that is in me is greater than anything that's in this world. And so if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we want to create a moment, an opportunity for you to surrender your life to Christ. To say, hey, I, I need to make that decision. So if you're here today and you say, I know I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but today I want to begin one.
Would you just lift your hand for a moment? I see those. Here's what we're going to do. Nobody prays alone. We're all going to pray together. Say this with me. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your head bowed and eye closed for just a second because the second group of people who I want to talk to you today are those of you who are experiencing anxiety and depression. Maybe you're overwhelmed or you have fear of the future today. You don't have to leave with that. Through the power of God, you can leave differently. So if you're in here and you'd say, hey, I've got anxiety, I've got depression, and I want to say a prayer for God to release that so I can walk in freedom. Would you just lift your hand for a moment? All around this room, hands are going up. Thank you, Lord. Here's what we're going to do. Say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I break the chains and shackles of anxiety and depression off of my life. I receive the abundant life you have for me. And trust that your plan is one for me that is prosperous and abundant. I thank you for giving me your spirit to overcome the attack of the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen.